0: He was a war hero. He received the Bronze Star with Oak Leaf Cluster because during the Battle of the Bulge he was able to save the unit from a Nazi ambush. He was in charge of a mechanized unit and the maintenance of that unit. And so Bill Haig was able to pull all of his unit out of a ravine that the Nazis were using to ambush this unit. And he showed me that bronze star with the oak leaf cluster. And he showed me his purple stars that he earned. He showed me the place in his back where the shrapnel was still inside his flesh. And I had great respect for this man. He was also the man that baptized my mother when she was a teenager. He was also the man that you could walk down into his basement and filled in his basement from wall to wall cassettes and old spools of audio tape of sermons and gospel meetings that he had attended and been a part of. This man was not always a Christian. When he was in the army, he was someone who knew nothing. It was only after he came back to the United States, his marriage had fallen apart, that he would eventually meet a woman that he would marry, that would lead him to Christ, and eventually would have a great impact on my own, on my own mother's life, and therefore my life. Bill passed away a number of years ago. But there are people in our lives that we learn to have great respect for. And it's easy to have someone like Bill look to, to Bill's leadership in a number of different ways and have respect for people like that. Sometimes it's hard to have respect for others whose lives are not necessarily filled with good things. And yet, as Christians we need to learn respect and to practice respect for a number of different people in our lives when we look at the story of David and Saul we see that David had respect for Saul even though Saul was not a respectable individual when we come to 1st Samuel chapter 24 we find that David has an opportunity to kill Saul because he was out to kill him. And yet David doesn't because he has respect for Saul. We can learn something about respect by looking at this story. David's respect for Saul was found in the fact that Saul had a relationship with God even though maybe Saul had moved away from that relationship. But it formed the basis of David's respect for Saul. This morning, I want us to think about that story, that analogy from 1 Samuel chapter 24. As an example of respect, I want us to look at other passages throughout Scripture that deal with respect, and I want us to think about how we can have respect and practice respect as Christians, as parents, as children today, let's begin by noticing a few things about this story of respect that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Notice the first few verses, chapter 24, 1 Samuel chapter 24. And as we begin to read this, this might seem like we've, we've left off a, a good number of stories in our study of 1 Samuel. Uh, but remember, several weeks ago, we, we looked at the story of David and Goliath and the idea that the battle belongs to the Lord. And so we're skipping over that to come to this one. But notice this story. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. It says, Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. You all know where that's at, right? Okay. Uh, But he came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him what seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly, and came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him, because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. So stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose and left the cave and went his own way. Saul is in the hands of David. David is in a position to do anything he would like to do to rid himself of this man Saul, his enemy. This man who has rejected God, as we've seen in our previous two weeks' lessons. A a man who failed to trust God. A man who failed to listen and be obedient to God. A, a, A man who profaned the Lord's sacrifices. A man who set up a statue to himself instead of honoring God for his victory over the Amalekites and failed to follow God's command as, as far as that was regarding. And now he's out to get David, who Saul knows is the anointed to be king after him. And David has a chance to get rid of this sinful king. But he doesn't. And he doesn't because he has respect for Saul. At least in the idea that this is the Lord's anointed. That is the basis of David's respect for Saul. He doesn't necessarily respect Saul as a father or, or father-in-law. He, he doesn't respect him uh, necessarily as a king because he's made good decisions for his people. He respects him because this is the Lord's anointing. That's the basis of his respect for Saul. But Saul has not acted in a very respectful way. When you think about the relationship David and Saul had with one another. We look back, for instance, in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 28, and we know that Saul is trying to kill David. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 28, When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michelle, Saul's daughter, loved him, then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle. It happened as often as they went out that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. Now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. And so Saul's wanting to kill David because he's jealous of David. He's jealous for a number of reasons. One, he's jealous of David because he knows that God has anointed him or had Samuel anoint him as the next king. He's jealous of that. He's jealous of David because his daughter is in love. With David, And in fact, Saul has given her to be married to him. And he's going to exploit that in some of the stories that we read in 1 Samuel. Chapter, in, in 1 Samuel. Uh, not only is his daughter in love with him, but his son Jonathan, who should be king after him as far as the standards of the day would, would say, loves him as a very close friend and is willing to defend David. And not only that, but the people of Israel love David because the way he conducts himself. The text said that he behaved himself more wisely than all of Saul's other servants. At least at this point in his life, David acts with integrity and wisely conducts. And the Lord has blessed David so that everything David does prospers the Spirit of the Lord, has left Saul and gone to David, 1 Samuel chapter 15, because of Saul's sin and Samuel anointing David king, future king. And so Saul is jealous of David and he's out to get him. He's not just uh, sending him away so that uh, he doesn't have a presence in the kingdom anymore. No, he wants him dead. 1 Samuel chapter 22 verses 9 through 12 and verses 17 through 19. There are some priests at Nob, the city of Nob, that help David escape David's or escape from Saul's anger and Saul's desire to kill him. And when Saul finds out about it, he goes and he kills the priests of God. Can you believe that? The audacity to go into the tabernacle of God and to kill. God's priests. And Saul came searching for David. And in this text, we see that he's searching for David because he, he wants to kill him. He's jealous of David. He's afraid of David. And at some point, later on in the text, chapter 25 and verse 44, even though Michelle has been married to David, Saul takes her away from David as his wife and gives her to somebody else to be that man's wife as a way of limiting David's influence in Israel and to be odious to David. So Saul was not a very respectable man. How David could take advantage of this situation. Imagine that. Your enemy comes into the place where you are hiding. And as he does, you have the opportunity to take his life. And everyone would know that you are justified in taking his life because he's out to kill you. Look what he's done to you. Look at the great measures he's gone to get rid of you. The world would say, hey, it's your turn. In fact, did you notice the reasoning of David's men? This is to fulfill what God said when he said he was going to deliver David or deliver Saul into your hands. They are reasoning with David. Look again at verse 4. Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Now, does that not sound like good reasoning to You know how many people I hear today say, I'm just waiting for a sign. I'm waiting for something to show me that this is what God wants me to do. Sometimes we really fool ourselves with that sort of thinking, that line of reasoning, because just because something looks good doesn't mean that it is. And David's say, look, David, certainly. This is that moment. This is that opportunity that God said to you, I'm going to deliver your enemy into your hands. Man, and if I'm David, I'm thinking to myself, maybe they're right. Maybe that's true. But David didn't fall for it. Because David had respect for Saul, even though Saul was not respectable, and the basis of his respect was because this was God's anointed. God put this man in a position to serve as king. It's not my place to remove him as king. God hasn't given me that command, God hasn't told me to do that. Really, the basis of David's respect is his respect for God. This was God's authority. This was God's decision. I'm going to abide by it until God plainly changes that. And eventually God would. But you see, David has respect for Saul because God had placed him in that position. And so David refuses to kill Saul because he is his anointed. Look at chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. We see something very similar. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him, for his day will come that he dies or that he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. So this is occasion. And on this occasion, Paul or David comes. And, and he's again in hiding. And he sees the army of Saul there in the valley. And everyone's asleep. And they're able to sneak in. It was like the delta forces of antiquity. Right? And they're able to sneak into the camp, right to the king's head. And they have a chance to kill him in the silence of night. With silent weapons. This wasn't even a sniper rifle-led with a silencer on it. You know, this was weapons that you could use stealthily and quietly. But David says, no. And did you notice his reasoning? This is the Lord's anointed. His respect for Saul was centered around the fact, God put this person in a position of authority, and it's not my place to remove him. And he even extends his discussion beyond what we saw in the cave, by saying, his day is coming. God has his day. But he told me to make it his day. And so David says, it's not my place. And it's not your place, Abishai. Just take the jug of water, put your spear there so that they know we were here, what we could have done. And of course, if we had time to read the entire chapter, we would see that Saul wakes up. As David is shouting... Uh, down to Saul and his general saying, "How come you didn't protect the Lord's anointed? But David had respect for Saul because of his position. David does not kill Saul because he is the Lord's anointed. He acknowledges his position and Saul in his part acknowledges David's respectful behavior. look back at chapter 24 and verse 19. Verse 18 Saul says, You have declared today that you have done good to me, and that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and you did not kill me. For if a man finds his will, he let him go safely. May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So Saul acknowledges David's good deed. David's Advantage or opportunity to do him harm that he did not follow through on because of David's respect. And he says, I know because of this, once again, the difference between you and me, that God is going to establish your kingdom and that you're going to be king someday. Stop Saul from coming after David again, as we've already seen in chapter 26. Saul had kind of this bipolar thing going on. Uh, one day he loved David, one day he hated him. One day he wanted him close by. One day he wanted him dead. And so with this back and forth with Saul, David had the opportunity on multiple occasions to take Saul's life, but he refuses to do so because of his respect for Saul because he is the king's, or because he is God's anointed. As we think about respect in the New Testament, as we think about respect in, in Scripture, we see different places where we are taught to be respectful of others. Respectful of our elders, our older individuals, respectful of our family, respectful of just others in the church, others that we come in contact with. I want us to think about some of these passages and some of these standards of respect. Look, for instance, in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 32. We have a command that the Israelites were to follow, that they were to be respectful of those older than themselves. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 32. You shall rise up before the gray-headed, honor the aged, you shall revere your God, I am the Lord. We certainly, as a people, don't follow this principle. Again, this was a command specifically for the people of Israel, but there's a principle here of respecting those older than ourselves. And yet I've got to be honest with you. There are some folks that are older than me that when you look at their lives, they're not very respectable. And it would be very easy to say, well, that person has not lived a godly life. That person doesn't know anything about God. That person, uh, when you look at their life, it's just a mess. I'm not going to respect it. Did you notice the tie-in in in the passage? Rise up in the presence of the gray-headed, the aged. Revere the Lord your God. In God's eyes, there is a connection between having respect and honoring the aged with revering Him. You see, just like David, I can look and I can see someone like Saul and say, you know, that person's not very, very respectful. But it is the Lord's anointing. God made that person. And they may have made a mess of their lives, but God made that person. God's blessed them with long, long life. And so I'm going. When was the last time you saw someone stand or rise in the presence? Major. Quite frankly, we might get a little insulted if we walk in the room and everyone stands up. Right? Uh, What What are you saying? You know, how old do you think I am? But there's a standard of respecting those who are older than we are simply because we are. And by showing them respect, we show our reverence to God. Our society has lost respect. We think about all the things that have happened in the last two, three years. There is a lack of respect for people in authority. There is a lack of respect for people that are older. There is a lack of respect, generally, for one another in our country. Our country is in turmoil. In large part, simply because people don't respect each other. They don't respect seniors. They don't respect enforcement. They don't respect the, 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 the military. They don't respect those in authority we need to practice respect and as Christians we need to demonstrate that and show that as Christians that we have respect for others children are to respect their parents look as we are still in the Old Testament Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you Paul echoes this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, verses 1 through 4, when he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, so that your days uh, may go well with you. Okay? And so Paul echoes probably the Septuagint, the Greek translation of this passage here in Exodus. But you notice what Paul, what God says? Honor your father and, mo- and your mother, so that your days may be prolonged in the, in the promised land. Where I take you? In most Families, parents have the goodwill or the good uh, life, the, the, the goodness of their children at heart. And so parents make rules and, and discipline. Their kids want good things for their kids. and if their kids were just acknowledge that and honor their father and mother, not roll their eyes at them, not talk about them under their breath, and be respectful and obedience, things will go well most of the time. Because your parents are trying to protect you from bad things in life. And so God says, Old Testament, New Testament, children, obey, honor your father and mother. Not just obey, Ephesians 6, but honor them. I like to tell jokes about my dad because my dad is a man that likes to tell jokes about himself. But every once in a while I've got to pause and just think about was that honoring my mom and my dad by, by telling that joke? And so we have this standard that God has given us. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 12, we have a standard for how we are to conduct ourselves within the church. And notice what Paul says. In Romans chapter 12 is a straight passage in which Paul begins the, passage, the, the section of Scripture by saying, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And then he goes on throughout the rest of the chapter to talk about different ways that we do that. But notice what he says in verse 10 in how we deal with each other. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Did you notice that? Give preference to one another in honor. And that is so hard to do. First of all, it's hard for me to give preference to somebody else, okay? I want to eat it on the board. Okay? So if you want to go to Wendy's, I'm sorry, you might have to drive yourself, but I'm going to on the board, right? That's my preference. But as a Christian and as a husband, I'm going to give preference to somebody else. And as a Christian and a member of the church, sometimes I give my preference to some to somebody else. And I do that in honor. This is God's creation. And so we need to live by that standard. There are some folks that struggle with that idea because it's, it's contrary to how we are raised in our culture of serving ourselves. We, we listen to too many Burger King commercials that said, have it your own way. And we listen to too many McDonald's commercials that said, you deserve a break today. And so we have this concept in our culture and our society. Notice what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, about how we are to treat each other. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Man, that is a tough passage. Because it says, first of all, I need to honor all people. Not just the people that I think are good and respectable, but all people. And he says, love the brotherhood, the brethren. And I've got to tell you, you know, I understand what Jay said when he said, it's good to see most of you here today. Because sometimes we're not very lovable. But you see, he says, love the brotherhood. And Love the king. Honor the king. I'm glad that the king in our country is we the people. For the people, love the people, and by the people. And that we live in a country where we get to change things out every four years if we want to, or every two years. And so we have respect and honor for each other. I want you to think about one other passage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul says, Submit to one another. And Paul's talking there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 of the church at Ephesus. And he says, as a church, you need to submit to each other. You need to be submissive to each other. And then he talks about the marriage relationship. He talks about the, the parent relationship. And then he talks about the master-slave relationship. And he says, all of you fit into one of these different types of relationships. And you all fit within the family of the church at Ephesus. But as you do that, you need to submit to each other. You need to be respectful to each other. And so we have this responsibility as Christians. Paul talks about honoring parents, Ephesians chapter six, verse two. He tells the evangelists to treat older men and older women with respect. First Timothy chapter five, verses one through two. This standard of respect is something that we as Christians have. Romans chapter thirteen, verses one through seven, and especially verse seven, he talks about respecting government, respecting those in authority. And so the question for us is, how can we teach respect as Christians today and practice respect today? Number one, we need to model showing consideration for others in our speech. The speech we use talking with others. The speech we use in talking in front of others. The speech we use in talking about others. Do we talk about them in a respectful way? Secondly, in our personal conduct, we avoid behavior that is injurious to others. We don't just take other people's property. We don't break other people's property. We don't behave in a way that is disruptive or discourteous to others. As a speech teacher, I'm amazed at how 7th and 8th graders, when they're giving speeches, will interrupt each other's speeches and act obnoxious. And I have to tell them, part of learning to do speech is delivering a speech and also sitting and hearing a speech. There is decorum. We don't disrupt. We don't discourteous. When we don't like what a candidate says, we don't go and block a highway so that no one can go and see that candidate. That's not respectable behavior. As parents, we need to train our kids to be respectful and to follow social norms. We train our kids by showing, modeling those things ourselves and correcting them when they practice or do things that are not respectful or respectful respectful or respectable. Part of being a parent is to take a child and to say, that's not right, and do it again. And we have to train our children to be respectful. David was respectful of Saul, even though Saul was not a respectable individual. And as Christians, one of the qualities God wants us to practice is respect. If you are the Spirit and you want to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, so that you can live life with him eternally, won't you come now? Together, we stand and-